Let's bow our hearts together before the Lord in gracious uh, thanksgiving and adoration. O Lord God, Christ indeed has been raised in power and in great glory. And it was not possible that the Lord of life should be held by the power of death. We want to thank you that by his resurrection he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And we thank you that we serve a risen Savior. A Savior who was delivered over for our offenses on Good Friday but was raised again for our justification on Easter Sunday morning. And we thank you that because he lives, life indeed is worth living. For Jesus' sake, we thank you. Amen. One of my all-time favorite paintings is Christ uh, and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And you may recall in Luke 24, on that very first Easter Sunday, two disciples were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as they talked about the extraordinary reports they had heard that day that Jesus was alive from the dead, the resurrected Lord himself joined them, though he was hidden from their recognition. And as Jesus walked with them along that road, he spoke these words to them in verses 26 and 27. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Well, it is about seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, so that's about two hours at a steady pace. And I want you to notice the effect that Jesus' words had on these two disciples their eyes were finally opened and they recognized him. And the Bible says he vanished. And look what they said. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? They had burning hearts as they saw Jesus' sufferings and his glory in the Old Testament. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. They had learned the Old Testament their entire lives. But this was the first time they saw it all pointed to Jesus. No wonder their hearts were burning. How would you like to have a two-hour Bible study with Jesus taking you through the whole Old Testament, teaching you about himself? Well, you have come to the right place this morning because I've prepared a two-hour sermon for you. No, I don't need to do that. All I need to do is to take you to one of the most gripping episodes in all of the Bible, 
an episode we studied just a few weeks ago. It is the great chapter in Genesis 22 of the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. But this morning, as we go back to this chapter, I want us today to see what Jesus saw. Because this chapter teaches us about Good Friday and Easter in Genesis, this chapter points to God and his Son. And I would like us to walk through it this morning as we see how it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 22. And we want to begin where the chapter begins with relationship. And what we want to see is that Abraham and Isaac prefigure God the Father and God the Son. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 and notice what the Bible says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, immediately when we read in verse 2 that Isaac was Abraham's only son, we pause and we say, just a minute, this is incorrect. Abraham had two sons, not one. And so what's going on here in this chapter? Well, the word only here is a very special word. It refers to an only unique child, a child very special in the eyes of the parent. This expression, only child, is found three times in the chapter, verse 2, verse 12, and verse 16. And then, whom you love is also very unusual. The name Ishmael occurs 17 times in the book of Genesis. Not once is love ever connected with the name Ishmael as it is here with the name Isaac. Now we know that Abraham loved Ishmael, but his love for Isaac was a very special love because Isaac was the promised son, he was the miracle son, He was conceived by the power of God. I love the way the Greek translation of verse 2 renders this verse. Here's how it renders it. Take your son, your beloved, whom you love, Isaac. Now all of us know God the Father speaks of his own son this way in the New Testament. Look at these references, the first one in John 1, 14, and we read these great words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3, verse 17, a voice from heaven, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is the miracle Son, isn't he? 
He's the one conceived by the power of God. He is the Word who was God. He's the eternal Son who took on human flesh and became the God-man. And because of His unique nature, He is uniquely loved by the Father. Jesus said, the Father loves the Son. And the amazing thing about this chapter is Abraham gave the unique Son, the loved Son, And the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Now let's move next to the sending. To the sending. And here we discover that Mount Moriah prefigures Mount Calvary. God was very specific to Abraham as to where he was to go. He directed him to an area of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem became a fortress city because it was surrounded by mountains. If we look at a simple map, we can see there's the famous Mount Zion. There's the famous Mount of Olives. And right in the mix is Mount Moriah. God said to Abraham, that's where you go. Now, if we were to look a little bit deeper at a more specific and detailed map, we would notice that Mount Moriah is just beyond the old city of David, that he made his capital city, Jerusalem. And then if we were to look just a little deeper, we would discover what 2 Chronicles 3.1 says, that Solomon built the temple right on Mount Moriah. What an amazing, amazing thing. When God told Abraham to go, he went. And we read that Isaac also went in total compliance. Verse 8 says... So they went, both of them, together. Not only did Isaac go willingly, but verse 9 says that he was bound willingly. So we have two extraordinary things in this chapter. Not only did Abraham go and Isaac went as well, but when Abraham bound his son, there was no resistance. Isaac was bound willingly. The relationship of father and son was so intimate, there was total trust between the two. I love what the New Testament says to us in 1 John 4, 
9 and 10, look at these powerful words to us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the last time that only Son occurs in the entire Bible. Notice four times it is connected with love. Twice it is connected with the sending of the Son. And once it is connected with an atoning sacrifice. These are all the themes in Genesis 22. And as Abraham went with the son whom he loved to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him, so God the Father sent the son that he loved to Mount Calvary to sacrifice him. This is about God and his son. And then we move along a little more to the sacrifice. And instead of prefigures substitutionary sacrifice. After the angel stopped Abraham and said, Now I know that you fear me more than anything else. We read this in verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, have you ever asked yourself this question, why did the Lord provide a ram in place of Isaac? After all, hadn't Abraham passed the test? Yes, he had. The test was over. What more was needed? Why now this ram? Well, had Abraham killed Isaac, it would not have been enough. Because Isaac was a sinner. We have seen over and over again that Abraham was a sinner too. In fact, we have seen that many, many times. Now what did Abraham say he had gone to do? He said, we will go and worship. This whole chapter is a worship scene. But we all know that acceptable worship requires a sinless sacrifice. Sinners cannot approach a holy God unless their sins have been paid for. Not only would God not have required Abraham to do this, it wouldn't have been enough, even if he had. 
And that's where the little phrase, instead of, comes in. The ram died instead of Isaac. Abraham's worship was made acceptable because a sinless ram was offered, but we all know the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. This is a type. The real sacrifice, who could be our substitute and atone for our sins, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me put two verses together, side by side, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Let me read for you again Genesis twenty-two thirteen. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered his up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And then 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Do you know what instead of means in the Old Testament? In place of. And do you know what for the unrighteous means in the New Testament? In the stead of. In the place of. These verses are exact equivalents, the Old Testament, the prefigurement, the New Testament, the fulfillment. About a year ago, I read the biography of Martin Luther. And one evening for family devotions, he read Genesis 22 to his wife, Katie. Now, she did not know the Bible well. There was no German Bible until her husband translated that Bible. After reading the story, the narrative of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, here's what Katie, the wife of Luther, said. I do not believe it, she said. God would not have treated his son like that. And Luther responded, But Katie... He did. And Luther was exactly right. What God kept Abraham from doing, he did to his own son that he might bring us to himself. And that, of course, leads to the climax, doesn't it? The climax is resurrection. And come again to you prefigures resurrection. 
Now, what was Abraham thinking in verse 5 when he said to his servants, we'll go over there and worship, and we will come again to you? Bible commentators have struggled with this. Uh, Some have wondered, was this a white lie? Was he not really telling them what he was going to do? Others have wondered, was he confused? Did he not know himself at the last moment what he was going to do? And then others have suggested, was he going to disobey? Was he not going to follow through? But we all know we need not speculate because the New Testament tells us exactly what Abraham was thinking. In Hebrews 11:19, this is what he was thinking. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. You see, Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. Now, the extraordinary thing about this is there had never been a resurrection in all of history. So Abraham had nothing to go on. But here's what he knew. He knew God has promised to bless the world through my son. I am going to kill my son as he has asked me to do. But since God is faithful and he fulfills his promises, there is only one conclusion. He is going to raise my son from the dead and we will return and verse 19 says they did return did you happen to recollect who it was who stopped Abraham from bringing down the knife. Verse 11 says, it was the angel of the Lord. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Most Bible students believe the angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnate manifestation in the Old Testament of the Son of God. The angel of the Lord was the Lord Jesus Christ himself in pre-incarnate form. And that makes what Jesus said about his own relationship with Abraham so extraordinary. Look what Jesus said about his relationship to Abraham in John 8, 56 to 58. Look at these words. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, 
I am. And the great I am, who preceded Abraham as the eternal son, was the angel of the Lord who stopped him. Isaac was a type. Jesus is the real thing. And he became incarnate as the God-man. Went to the cross. Died for our sins. Rose again on the third day. Provides a perfect salvation for all who believe. That like Abraham, we might rejoice and be glad. Let's bow together, shall we? And close our eyes before the Lord this morning. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the Lord Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is here today. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament said he would be. He's the God-man incarnate in human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and made a sufficient atonement for the sins of the world. He rose again that we might be justified. He was exalted on high. He reigns in majesty. He will come again in great glory. And he offers you today the salvation that he so perfectly provided. If you're not sure that he is your Lord and Savior, you can trust him today. In your heart, right while you're sitting, you can say, Lord Jesus, I believe who you are. I believe why you came. And the best that I know how this morning, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way. I'm turning to you. Come into my life and be my Savior. Come into my heart and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a child of God. Grant to me the eternal life that you rose to provide. And today, though I will not walk this way perfectly, 
I will now follow you. Living as you have commanded, my Lord, my Savior. Lord Jesus, today, as the eyes of those two disciples on the road to Emmaus were blind, until you opened those eyes. May you do the same today. Open blind eyes. Turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Help people to see Christ, who he is, what he has done, and grant them faith to believe that they might this day be born anew into the image of the resurrected Christ. For his glorious Namesake we pray, amen.